The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off Center with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I have two guests today, and our topic is uh, timely and, oddly enough, perpetual. We're going to be talking about the impact of continuing resolutions and the costs of continuing resolutions and shutdowns. So I have two guests. I have Simone Seichman of Attain, who uh, also is former CIO at Commerce and NIST. So he has uh, now both sides of that fence. My other guest is Bob Lofeld, who is completing a trifecta, uh, which has never been done on my show, three shows in a row. Uh, the last two, because we uh, had so much stuff to talk about, it ran two shows, and he came up with this idea, so here we are. Glad to be here. Always a pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming back in. How's life at Attain? Things are good. It's uh, We had a little bit of a quiet lull at the end of the year, but now business is picking up and activity is keeping everybody occupied. Three plus years on the dark side, man. Yep. So, Having fun. There you go. It is more fun over here. And if, if you're in government, it's true. Um, so CRs. I, I pulled up, uh, Bob pulled up 200 pages of stuff and, and his, all his contacts. You know, He's got this tome. But I found uh, uh, something from the Bipartisan Policy uh, Center, which indicates uh, from 76 to present, there have only been four budgets passed on time. The last one, and I've been misspeaking about this for a number of years, I say 94, uh, they proved to me that it's 96. So still 22 years. Four budgets in the last 30 40, no, that's 40-some, 40 42 years. Holy crap. Uh, one a decade. Hey, how's except for the last two decades, right? <laughs> so we're going to start off with the uh, with a CR. And I, I want to start off uh, with, with Simone's point of view coming from government, even though it's been a while now. The perpetual CR, we make jokes about it in D.C. It's a standing joke in D.C. But what's the impact from a CIO perspective? Well, as most people will know, under a continuing resolution, you're unable to do any new starts. And so that tends to hamper the the conducting of business with respect to the mission because you have every year new priorities, uh, sometimes from a new administration, sometimes from an existing administration, but new priorities, new programs that are supposed to be getting started. And the, the biggest impact that's linked to the mission is a delay in, in getting anything new started that wasn't under the prior year since the CR only gives spending authority for existing programs. Okay. Robert? You're uh, certainly right about the CRs becoming a way of life. Uh, with the, the Congress in the past 41 years only getting four budgets done on time, it must be a much more difficult process than we could ever imagine. For those of us on the industry side, it's like, hurry up, because here comes uh, new money, and then wait, wait, wait. It doesn't quite come as promised. 
really hard to plan, really hard to set strategy in that kind of uh, environment where you're so uncertain about what will actually occur. Well, last year we didn't have a budget until June, which perpetuates another standing joke in D.C., which is the end of FY feeding frenzy, which is frankly driven mostly by the CR. Yes, no? Yeah, and and one of the... You know, the other the other factor with CRs is there are always differences between what the president has proposed in the president's budget and what Congress ultimately appropriates in the appropriation bills. And those uncertainties lead to difficulties with resource planning, personnel planning, planning of acquisitions uh, within the agencies. Uh, and it's not until appropriations happen that those uncertainties or the differences between the congressional viewpoint and the the president's priorities get resolved so the the longer that takes whether it's uh, a few weeks or running all the way till june the following year uh, that becomes something that can hamper the the activities of agencies and one of the challenges uh, from for government and industry is when the uh, budget is approved late in the year you have a short amount of time to spend the new money, and it's sort of a, a feeding frenzy. But we, we always see about 40% of the government transactions occur in the last quarter of the fiscal year. But it really puts the pressure on government to get things done and on industry to be there to respond. Uh, there were a couple of articles, uh, uh, I think both of us found them, Bob, uh, regarding the uh, uh, workaround scenario. Navy had... Uh, something that they did and and there there are multiple year fundings that go on on contracts uh, typically shipbuilding is funded in five-year increments and us uh, aid does uh, multi-year contracts typically two years so those kind of continue with uh, whether continuing resolution occurs or not those agencies are funded or those activities are funded so i'm not asking for trade secrets here simone but uh if you really wanted to get something done during a CR when you were either at NIST, which is a hotbed of really cool stuff, or head of commerce's uh, CIO, what could you do? Well, I think probably the best way to look at it is that there is inherently some subjectivity to defining what a new start is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you bring in a new person to do Uh, a new piece of work, but it's already under the existing scope of an existing contract. Is that a new start or is it not a new start? Obviously, depending on how you define and describe an activity, you could intentionally highlight it as something brand new, or you could highlight it as a continuation of things that have already been going under a broader umbrella of existing programmatic activities. Uh, And so I think there probably is a little bit of creativity used by federal agencies to get things done when they're very high priority and uh, and there's a need to not wait. There are ways in a, a legitimate, honest way to use that subjectivity to get things done. Okay. Now, would, would part of that be task orders on GWACs? Because I know commerce especially seems to like some of the NITAC vehicles, not exclusively, but they were probably the number one user. Um, yeah, it, it could be task orders on, under existing contracts. It's also easier to get things awarded in a quicker fashion when you're using GWACs rather than using a, a standalone acquisition. Uh, so that is one of the, the ways in which things can get done. Yeah, yeah and I, I'd agree with Simone. There's some uh, subjectivity in what constitutes a new start. And 
we'll see IT systems, uh, infrastructure systems, uh, originally conceptualized as a new start, but when times become difficult, they appear to be more enhancements to existing systems, and that that's okay. Where it really hits is in the defense market, and uh, bu- building a new aircraft or, or uh, building a new ship, those are new, and they're hard to explain that that's an enhancement of a previous uh, aircraft that didn't exist or a ship that didn't exist. So those are the, the programs that really get penalized during the CR. Here in this particular uh, year, we, we talked about an uptick of $60 billion going into defense, uh, much of that for uh, ships and aircraft, uh, new activities. And those are, those are all slow rolling right now and waiting for the CR to be resolved. All right, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'll be back with Simone and Robert right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here today with Simone Sykeman of Attain. You can find uh, Simone and Bob on LinkedIn. Not going to guarantee they'll connect with you, but you can reach out. Uh, Bob, the threats of shutdown cause a lot of action on both sides of the fence. Walk through that process. So on the uh, private sector side, uh, there's a triage process that that we go through to look at the impact of a government shutdown. And we should remind our uh, listeners here that the government doesn't shut down in its entirety. Different agencies shut down in different ways or different segments of the uh, agency shut down. So as a contractor, what we have to do is look at the contracts that we have and do a triage process to uh, basically divide our contracts into four categories and that will continue to be performed are those that are uh, mission critical, involve the protection of human life or the protection of property. And those contracts will, will uh, generally not be shut down. There's other criteria for contracts that don't get shut down. If they are funded multi-year, or if your agency that you're working with is funded under uh, actions other than appropriations, your contracts are unlikely to be shut down. And GSA is a good example of that. They're funded by these uh, revolving accounts and uh, are funded by statute in the case of Social Security. Those contracts continue. But as you go through this triage process, we break up all the contracts in the company into four categories those that are exempt under the Anti-Deficiency Act. And if it's not exempt, the presumption is that you'll continue to perform. But then there's a third category, contracts that are impossible to perform because you can't get access to the facility, you can't get access to government people, you can't get access to tools. And the fourth category are the ones where the contracting officer reaches out and says you have a stop work order. And in those cases, you, you do indeed stop and begin accumulating your your costs and uh, as you shut down, and hopefully you'll you'll start up again. But first step is to uh, triage all the contracts in the company and do that before the shutdown. Don't do it uh, after the shutdown. When you look at your contracts, some of them are prime with the government. Some are in a role as a subcontractor. And for your subcontractor uh, uh, roles, you need to reach out to your prime contractor and go through the same triage and ask them what they're going to do. As you do this uh, well ahead of a shutdown, you should be talking to your contracting officers and getting their guidance and uh, make, make sure that you know what direction you're going to get if they know what to, to give you, and they may not. If there's a shutdown, you need a plan to use your idle workforce. And 
companies will take uh, workers and they'll uh, shift them to uh, other projects that are funded or they'll move them to commercial work if they have it. Everybody goes uh, into company training and you get those training obligations completed. You can work on internal projects or you take uh, vacation leave or sick leave or, and in some cases you get furloughed and those uh, contractor employees go without pay when they're, they're furloughed. So tough love at the end of the journey. If you're an hourly employee, you're pretty much uh, unpaid as soon as the, uh, the, the shutdown uh, occurs. As a, a company, you need a good communications plan to reach all your employees because uh, they will, they will want to know as soon as they hear on the news the government shut down, what are they supposed to do? And then Sunday evening, you might see the government is starting back up, so you need a plan to, to get in touch with all of them. If you have contract actions that are due to occur about the time of a shutdown, you want to work with your contracting officer to get those taken care of in advance, like contract uh, mods and options, get those squared away before shutdown occurs. Uh, provide guidance to your subcontractors and then talk to your bank, because if you're a, uh, a smaller company or a mid-tier company, there's going to be a, a financial impact. So that, that's sort of the nine-step uh, process that, that we would go through. And I got lots of uh, comments when I talked to our, our clients about how this has impacted them in the past and what it was really like. And your clients range from small to very large. Yes. Mm. I, I reached out to a group of people, and I had about 30 of them come back with lengthy responses, uh, overwhelming response. So thanks to all of them for providing real examples of what happened in their companies. The last shutdown was in October of 2013. Had you just vacated, or were you still there? Uh, I was still there during the the last uh, shutdown. It was uh, interesting to to walk the halls and have just hear nothing but echoes of footsteps because the the place was uh, almost entirely <laughs> cleared out. Um, the The government shutdown planning process, I think, at this point is um, there's been enough time invested in the planning that that there's some maturity to that process. But it's still a very disruptive thing. You're you're still shutting down. You're still ceasing activity. There are questions um, that I think probably get re-asked and re-answered every time about what stays up and what doesn't. What is considered mission critical? Uh, just as one example, I remember during the last shutdown, there was a real debate over whether part of the shutdown activity would include essentially taking down government websites versus leaving them up. And part of the decision-making around that was if people, for example, submit a question, citizens are submitting questions, those are not going to get answered during a shutdown. And so do we want to take down a website for that reason? And then there's also the, the visibility aspect of it. Do we want to take down websites to essentially have black screens to make a point to the citizens that, hey, there are real impacts to having these shutdowns? So there's a lot of debate and decision-making that, that goes around sort of the the PR aspects of shutdowns as well as the the more operational and, and mission support aspects of shutdowns. Well, that, that PR aspect brings up the uh, the spin, you know, who's responsible for this? Right. I, I listened to one of the agency heads uh, talk about what happened during the last uh, shutdown, and he said that there's a group in his organization that was installing new equipment in a, a, a control center, a command center. Mm -hmm. And they started uh, removing all the old equipment and began bringing in the new. And then this uh, rumor of shutdown uh, loomed large, and they made the decision to 
stop the installation of the new because they couldn't finish it if the uh, shutdown occurred. They took back out all the new equipment that they had uh, installed and put back in the old equipment. And when they reinstalled the old equipment, nothing would work. And, th- and this, this was the kind of trauma that goes on inside the agency with, with just the rumor of a shutdown. So while the public doesn't see it, it can be hugely uh, traumatic uh, in, internally to operations. So there's a dollar aspect to this too. I mean, on the on the private sector side, um, layoffs occur. If you're if you're on a vehicle, you're not going to get paid. Well, for, well, for sure, the Congress has never gone back and appropriated money for government contractors who were furloughed. That that's uh, hasn't happened and never will happen. So the companies have this uh, ethical uh, choice to make. We have a workforce with. Uh, no work that they can perform. Do we tell them to uh, go home and uh, sit on the couch and we'll pay them, which causes huge impact on the company? Or do we tell them we're, we're sorry because the government shut down, you have to go home and you won't get paid. And the first thing they do is they go home and they work on their resumes. And the last place they want to work again is with a government contractor. So hugely uh, detrimental to the employees who commit their careers to, to work for the government. They just get uh, jerked around on the uh, end of the whip. And, and it becomes a real uh, cultural challenge for companies to make that decision. We've found uh, the smaller companies tend to say, we'll try to pay you during the shutdown because they don't want to lose their good employees. They want to keep good people. The larger companies are, are less concerned about it. Uh, no, no charge number, no, no ticket here. You go home and you don't get paid, and we'll call you back when it starts. And if, if you come back, that's good. And if you don't, we'll find somebody else. Tough love out there. And I would say within the government environment, there's definitely more certainty around the lost pay getting restored after appropriations happen. Um, but for for the people who... For the many people who care very deeply about their missions, they still view those impacts as being very serious. They have a job which brings them to work every day day to do work that they think is important. Uh, And for those people to not be able to do what they do, whether it's supporting citizens, supporting businesses, supporting internal government operations, uh, there's a, a definite, perhaps not the same kind of financial hit uh, although, as we can talk about further, there, there certainly is a lot of money wasted as a result of shutting down and, and restarting operations. But there's also a morale hit that comes from essentially being sent home and not being able to do something that, that you might care about. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the uh, psychological impact of not being considered mission critical. You know, do your neighbors make fun of you? Oh, you know. Are you doing anything different today than you did the office the other day? Or yeah, I'm. I'm sure. You know, it's it's interesting um, because some people will equate mission critical with important, and just because your your role within the federal government doesn't involve protection of life and property doesn't mean that it's not very important. Uh, and so I think probably some people do view that the wrong way, and maybe there is a, a little bit of uh, of teasing. Um, but I think there's enough internal education about what is what constitutes something that's mission critical that people understand um, just because I'm being sent home doesn't mean that, that the work isn't valued. And, and the, the guidance to the government employees who are, are being sent home is that you, you can't go check your email. 
you can't sit at home and do work even though you're remotely connected and maybe you work a flex schedule anyway and you normally work at home. You're told, shut it down, do not communicate with anybody. And it's to, in, in a way, maximize the impact of the shutdown to encourage Congress, I believe, to come back and resolve their issues. So here we have uh, industry players who are co- as committed to the mission as the government is. They want to contribute. They want to help. But they're told uh, they cannot volunteer their services. So it's it's a shutdown that becomes a very hard shutdown uh, after a day or two. Yeah, it's curious to me. I never thought about this part before. But, you know, you have uh, uh, CDC, NIH, and the various uh, uh, energy labs out there doing all these uh, uh, experiments and stuff, and what happens if you know, in the middle of an experiment they're not considered mission critical? Life or property—that's that's the criteria. Or national defense, and while you're, okay, so energy probably while, gets while your Nobel Prize <laughs> might not fit in that category, and you get sent home. So it, it's tough. It's tough. It's a strange world we live in. You're I, I, listening I, to... Uh, yeah, I would say the general public doesn't uh, appreciate what really goes on in the internals of these government organizations and contractors. Well, very few people realize the the cost. I mean, there's an impact on the GDP mm-hmm. as well when this occurs because the government is the largest spender in the United States. You know, in our home state, each of us lives in Maryland. The federal government's not only the largest employer, government contracting's the largest industry in Maryland. Hundreds of thousands of people will go without a paycheck, and that ripples through the economy. They can't make their mortgage uh, unless they've got uh, credit card reserves and other ways to to get by. And discretionary spending, I'm sure, is down, so businesses are affected. Metro revenues are affected. There there are all kinds of secondary, tertiary effects from, from the stream of spending that comes from people who are paid by the federal government. Yeah, did you guys happen to see the uh, the impact on Silver Spring with uh, uh, Discovery, Discovery vacating the yeah. premises? Yeah, saw the article. My God, I hadn't thought about that, but all of those supporting industries. So. Yeah. Um, come back, Discovery. Come back. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here today with Simone Seichman of Attain, uh, also uh, former CIO at uh, Commerce NIST and a program manager uh, back in the NIST days. And Bob Lofeld is here too. So, Simone, um, Walk us through your personal anecdotes, having lived on the Govy side of shutdowns, particularly back in the 90s. Uh, yeah, back in the, the shutdown we had in 96, um, I think there was uh, a lot less planning that had gone into those shutdowns and a lot less analysis uh, relating to what it meant. Uh, I, I remember um, back in that particular shutdown, I had a, a paper that was due for a conference and I wasn't going to miss that deadline. So I ended up going to work, even though the government was shut down. I had a, a lot of colleagues who were essentially taking vacations. But I was in the office working, trying to to get my little piece of work done. Uh, and you contrast that now. Um, at the time, I was able to get into the office. It was before 9-11. There wasn't security, so I could just walk in and, and do my work. Uh, now you you really can't access government facilities without being authorized to do so. And there's also been, uh, I think, a much harder line taken with a real 
firm, hard shutdown, I think in part to make it more visible to the public, but it's also, I, I believe, been the result of a variety of legal analyses relating to the law around appropriations and shutdown and really coming to the determination that while you, you may not send people to jail for it, strictly speaking, it's not legal for government employees to work unpaid. They're not allowed to give a gift to the government in that fashion. And so they're they're now much stricter, as Bob said earlier, about uh, even little things like checking your email from, from a, a laptop or a mobile device at home. So the guidance that's given to people now is truly one of very strict, no work-related activity during a shutdown. That was uh, Benjamin Civiletti, who was the attorney general in 80 and 81, issued two opinions about the Anti-Deficiency Act. I haven't heard Act. that name for a while. Yeah, there you go, for the historians <laughs> in the group. And these two opinions really clamped down on what's permissible under the Anti-Deficiency Act. And that's where this very narrow interpretation came from. So that's still the uh, the operating principle here. It, it is. And, and I'm, I'm going to guess it'll continue that way unless someone makes a, a crusade to, to change the uh, law and change the opinion. Without funding, the government can't operate, and it goes immediately into a shutdown process. Okay. One of the things that, that doesn't shut down from the industry point of view is that we have due dates on contracts to meet, and those due dates don't get relief. And In the proposal world, uh, proposals uh, still, still have to be delivered, and there's no relief, and often there's no contracting officer to ask for relief. Uh, everybody is gone, so we... We make our best efforts to uh, to deliver those proposals. And back in the How earlier do you deliver days, them if nobody's there to get them, well, you get as far as the guard, and you get a letter that says we were here <clears> and take this box, and and, and you go to great lengths because there's uh, there's no relief if you fail to deliver. To, today, it's uh, much more electronic submission on proposals, so we still hit the send button and and off they go, and we expect a receipt from it. But, but those there's no relief on those dates, even though. Questions that were asked uh, about a procurement go uh, unanswered, and uh, there's nobody there to talk to. We, we looked at the, the last shutdown uh, that occurred in, in uh, 2013, the 16-day uh, shutdown. And in that period of time, we were looking at uh, what happened to RFPs. Did the government stop issuing them during the shutdown or not? And what we saw, there was a 44% drop in the number of RFPs that were issued in the professional services and IT markets during that, that period. And, and the reason some were issued is some of the agencies weren't shut down, like GSA with its uh, revolving funds uh, continued to operate, and, and other agencies were able to do that too, defense for sure. But we lost about half the RFP flow that we normally see during that period. Good Lord. Um, so in, in, the, uh, in the startup mode, so in... Uh, 13, you were still there. Uh, you were getting ready to leave, though. Yes? Yes. How how soon after the startup did you vacate the premises? Um, so I I announced my departure in February of 2014. My I, I announced my plans to leave. Uh, I wasn't in any rush, so I, I took some time to uh, allow Commerce to recruit a replacement, helped him with transition, took a couple of months off, so I didn't ultimately start my uh, my new position until the following October of 2014. Uh, but I did did announce my plans to leave closer to the beginning of that year. Okay, so you were there during the entire startup process again. Yes. Walk me through it. Um, 
You know, I, I think um, it, it probably is more difficult for, for the contracting community to to resume that startup than for the government because uh, people for within the government just reported to work and expected everything to pick up exactly where they left off uh, without always having the, the recognition that that there's a ramp down and then it takes time to restore full level of activity. Um, I, you know, that, that's something that may be obvious to people in the community of the, the IT government IT market, but the average government employee is not a, an, an IT worker. And so they walk in the door and they expect everything to be running the same as the, the day they walked out the door prior to the shutdown uh, and and that ramp up definitely takes time when you're working in a CIO organization, restoring full operations, restoring and testing all of the systems, the equipment. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a cliche when when you hear people talking about legacy IT systems, but there are systems where people actually don't want to shut something physically, turn it off because there's some concern about whether it'll it'll run when they turn it back on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, so it's a non-trivial activity to to really restore full operations working in an IT organization. Well, let me – go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, can you imagine the workload on the contracting officer who comes back after the shutdown and realizes that the executives in all these companies, they didn't go away. And they're sending email to this contracting officer saying, uh, when do we start? We're, we're shutting down. Here, here's the impact on your programs. We're going to file a claim against you for the shutdown, and and they come back and they've got a thousand emails in their queue to uh, to open up and begin sorting through. It, it's just got to be demoralizing to see that that avalanche of activities all falling on the contracting community. Yeah. One one of the things I didn't mention about Simone's uh, uh, history of uh, employment is your stint at DHS and the White House in cyber. So. Since that time, you're still involved in it at Attain and as CIO at Commerce and at NIST. But um, would would uh, how how big is the cyber threat during a shutdown if you're not fully staffed? That is a a great question, um, and it's one. There was a lot of discussion around that that particular point. Um, I I think that there was. Um, behind the scenes a lot of expectation during the 2013 shutdown that all of a sudden government systems would become major targets for hacking because there would there would be essentially if not nobody home at least a skeleton crew for <clears throat> noticing that things are happening and or or even dealing with and responding to those types of intrusions um to the best of my recollection um and certainly i i'm not privy to all of the information that might be classified. Um, but in terms of kind of the open source discussion around it, I think that that turned out not to be uh, true at the level that they, they might have expected it. There might have been a, a, a very mild uptick in, in probing and scanning, but not a, not a, a major avalanche of attacks against the government during that shutdown. But I think it is still a very real concern and a risk. And, and certainly when it comes to IT operations and deciding what's mission critical and what's not, security operations are considered protective, part of a protective mission. Uh, and, and since 
all agencies to some extent or another have mission critical systems the the people who are there to make sure that they're not only operating but secure would be considered mission critical so so there certainly is a a, a focus and i i would say a heightened level of vigilance around security during a shutdown okay you're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. We'll be back with our final segment right after this. Federalnewsradio.com, your one-stop shop for all things federal. Listen daily to interviews with federal managers and government contractors. Read Mike Causey's daily federal report or just stop by for an update on the latest news affecting the federal community. Federalnewsradio.com, your source for federal news now. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. I'm here again today with uh, with Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting and Simone Seichman of Attain. Uh, Simone is our, our former govy with, uh, with that perspective, as well as now the industry perspective. Um, there, there's all kinds of costs that people never see. We were kind of joking in between uh, takes here about, you know, you watch the news and uh, you can't go to the zoo. Um, <clears throat> costs. Wow. Lots. There's near-term costs, financial costs. There's mission costs to the government. And there's, there's long-term impacts on, on the government and uh, industry's ability to perform. So let me, let me take uh, the financial impact first for, for companies, and, and then we can talk about the other, other topics. But uh, financially, every company will be uh, confronted with this explaining the impact of the shutdown to their shareholders. And, and they'll have to do this for the next uh, 18 months or, or longer. And the financial impact can go from uh, mild to extremely severe. Uh, mild if you're a defense contractor you're 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 less likely to be uh, shut down but if your company works in the civilian agencies you you're, you'll be hit uh, uh, very substantially and and the impact is to your revenue for sure uh, no, with government shutdown you don't uh, collect any money it's a huge hit to your profitability because you have all these expenses that continue with no revenue to offset it uh, indirect rates go up for these companies, making them less competitive in the market. Invoicing gets stopped because there's no one to process invoices. So there's an impact on cash flow and impact on uh, financial covenants and the lending documents that, that companies sign. In some cases, contracts get terminated in past shutdowns because the option to exercise occurred during a shutdown. And if an option's not exercised, contract over. You can't go back and exercise an option retroactively. So good work was shut down because there was nobody there to, to perform. Would it be the, possible the to exercise the option if you see the shutdown coming? It'd be a really, really prudent thing to do if, <clears throat> okay. if you but thought if that you option exercise it. would fall in that window. Do it early. Do it early. Get it done. Yeah. Get Paying it done. attention, do it early. There we go. Okay. Um, so financial impact uh, generally more severe on the smaller companies, and we know of two that uh, went out of business because of the shutdown. They, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't meet the payroll, and it was game over for them through, through no fault of their own. So, so it's, it's tough out there. Always makes the market more attractive. Um, it's a tough game to begin with. So, I mean, how many contractors are in the Fortune 100 or Fortune 1000? Um, 
that a trick? Is that a trick question? Well, I, I, no, it's not a trick. Like I mean, you know, we, we, we know that there's a lot in there, right? So what's the impact on Wall Street if these uh, quarterly earnings for these companies all of a sudden are not meeting expectations? There'll certainly be a lot of talk about it and a lot of uh, executives trying to explain that it, it's, it wasn't their fault that, that it occurred. And, Stop and, funding those politicians. Yeah, but, but, you know, the shareholders don't care whose fault it is. They just want to keep the, the, uh, the earnings and the profitability there in, in the shares. Uh, the, that uh, financial tsunami ripples out across uh, uh, geographic areas where there's a heavy concentration of government uh, employment and industry supporting em- uh, government employment. And Washington, D.C. is a great example. of we'll, we'll have thousands of people going without a paycheck, uh, going, going without uh, being paid for the time off and, and having no chance of recovering it. So it, this tsunami creates a, a long-term effect on, on the desirability of working in government or working as a contractor for government. And people will say, when, when they go to apply for a job, weren't you the company that shut down a few weeks ago? I don't think I want to work here. So, so we try to get the best and brightest, all of us do, in government and industry. And yet this sort of tarnishes that, that uh, activity, makes it more difficult to do. Doesn't make it more attractive? More time off. Um. <laughs> so... Uh, let's let's go back to to the government side there. I mean, you don't care about the quarterly quarterly earnings, but you you mentioned uh, uh, during the the outtake, uh, Simone, that uh, uh, places like National Cancer Institute are doing these things. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the government and and it's not always something the public is fully aware of, but the government does a tremendous amount of important work. Um, and anything that isn't mission critical does get shut down when the government stops operations. And so uh, you think of something like the National Cancer Institute or, or any of the many federal agencies that fund uh, important research <clears throat> and development, any shutdown delays the, the carrying out of that good work. And so we are delaying the, the race to find a cure for cancer. We're delaying all kinds of other important types of uh, research. Um, you know, one one place where you can kind of hold both the, the mission critical versus the non-mission critical is in the National Weather Service at NOAA. The uh, many people uh, think, oh, well, weather comes from the Weather Channel, but the Weather Channel gets their data from, from, from the National Weather Service. <laughs> um, and so certainly the the operations around gathering data from weather satellites and, and turning those into weather predictions is mission critical, and that, that continues happening. But there's a, a whole segment of activity within the National Weather Service that's centered around research and development, developing better better. Uh, algorithms for prediction of weather, prediction of climate change, um, and all of that, the the research aspect of it is is not on hold, but it's extremely important research. Um, NOAA over the years has, uh, and I don't have the exact figures, but but folks at NOAA can tell you that over the years from from X number of years ago to today, they've improved their tornado predictions where instead of giving two minutes or five minutes, they can now give 10 or 15 minutes lead time in terms of actually exactly exactly where and when tornadoes are going to strike. Those improvements in predictions are purely the result of 
uh, improving the data that's gathered, gathered from satellites and improving the algorithms. And the research into those algorithms gets put on hold. And Noah, again, I don't have the figures, but they can they can give figures where every every additional minute of advance notice for a tornado that they can build into an algorithm translates to X number of dollars saved and X number of lives saved uh, in a year or or in a ten year period, uh, and so it's 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 lives and and property that are are being protected and and the improvements in our ability to do that is 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 pushed into the future and delayed when the government shuts down. You can look at uh, NASA's similar uh, circumstance with all the science that goes on there. When the shutdown occurs, all, all but about 3% of the employees go home. And and NASA, uh, the research uh, stops and, unless they're doing it uh, on their uh, laptops at home. But, but of course, they're not supposed to do it. So. Yeah. Sorry, huge, shuttle huge guys, shutdown. you have to stay up another month until well, we get Fortunately, we'll maintain uh, that, those uh, <laughs> the International Space Station activities and others as, as uh, their protection of property. But, but the research side, the analysis side, that can all, all go and hold. And Department of Education, there are 4,400 employees. When, when they get the shutdown notice, only 200 stay on the job. Everybody else is gone. So if you're waiting on, on a grant or some sort of funding from Department of Education, you, you're going to wait. It's just not going to happen. SOL. Final thoughts? It's, it's a, a situation for sure that we all want to avoid. And we hope that the Congress and the uh, president will come to to agreement. And and in the near term, let's do another CR. Let's not shut down. But quickly, let's let's reach agreement on these national priorities and stop holding the government hostage in, in these negotiations. Simone. Yeah, the way I look at it is ultimately an agreement will be reached. Surely not leaving everybody happy, but an agreement will be reached some type of funding bill will be passed, whether it's typical agency by agency appropriations or or CR that covers everybody for the rest of the year. But ultimately, they they do come to an agreement. And so the way I look at it is there's there is truly no excuse for a shutdown. If you know you're going to come to an agreement, find a way to come to that agreement without shutting the government down, um, because ultimately the the agencies become a political ping pong and then the 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 public and the businesses and the economy pay the price for uh for the impacts of those types of shutdowns all right gentlemen thank you so much bob lofeld lofeld consulting and simone Seichman of attain this is not my day job if you, i can't help you on the marketing of a cr but if you have other marketing issues or you want to leverage linkedin uh, finally, in 2018, give me a shout. Drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Amtower Off Center, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.
¿No se merece tu familia lo mejor? Entonces, ¿por qué no los mejores huevos? Ahora, Egglands Best están disponibles en deliciosas opciones. Huevos clásicos de gallina libre de jaula y orgánicos de Egglands, que ofrecen un sabor más delicioso y fresco de granja, que le encantará a tu familia. En comparación con los huevos ordinarios, Egglands Best contiene la mejor nutrición como 6 veces más vitamina D, 10 veces más vitamina E y el doble de omega 3 y B12. Solo Egglands Best. Mejor sabor, mejor nutrición, mejores huevos. Visita egglandsbest.com para más información. 